Welcome to Challenging Christianity. It's Rebecca Kinnestrand, Danielle Dadashi is with me, and Pastor Katie McCollum Saksi is here today. We're excited. Um, it is the holiday season, and we are here to talk about Advent and Christmas. I just, before we get into, it is Challenging Christianity, so we're going to talk about some challenges regarding this whole season. I don't care right now. I have lights <laughs> up. I've got candles. I've got yep. the, my tree. I'm just like, bring it on. I want it all. I want all the love, the joy, the light, the candles. I need it. I need it bad. Judging from my neighborhood and most neighborhoods I drive around, which is not that many right now, um, you are not alone. Like, yeah. <laughs> Christmas lights went up mostly the day after Halloween, I think they started. <laughs> and I think people were like, just don't, you know, time has lost all meaning. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm for it. Normally I'm kind of like, let's go slow and do less. Nope. No, no, go big, all. go, go mm -hmm. big. And you are already home. So stay there. <laughs> go big, go big and stay home. Go big and stay home. If you it brings you joy, let's do it. That's what I feel yeah. like. It's just, um, I think the dark, you know, it's dark here, uh, at four 30 or so. And candles a lot i once i put my tree up it was the saturday after thanksgiving i put my tree up and i and my daughter did the whole mantle and i've just collected so much stuff over the years and she's able to manage all of that and i put on the log and we just sat there just the two of us just looking at the twinkling lights and everything and it was just so wonderful <laughs> it is and that is exactly what i associate with advent is like that feeling of putting up all your decorations and then sitting and enjoying the decorations, the hot cocoa and the, the making sure my twinkle lights are on and there's candles lit and I've got my Yankee candle Christmas cookie burning next to me <laughs> while I eat my not so freshly baked cookies. Like I just, I associate with such cozy Christmas times, which yeah, I do yeah. not think is Christmas is, is a like church well, wait Ooh. a minute, wait a minute. We're going to talk for a second because there's a word for that in Danish, which is hygge. It was like all the rage last year to to have hygge, you know, this idea of cozy, cozy. But the new hygge is Swedish mis, which is better. It's the Swedish hygge, but better because it's Swedish. Swedish. And so since my husband is Swedish, I have to make the Swedish plug for Swedish Mies, which I'm sure is not pronounced correctly. <laughs> but it's the same. It's the same concept, just Swedish. Okay. It's the same concept, but better. <laughs> which Got I it. think is a synonym for the same the same concept as Swedish. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yes, Hige, which I did not know that's how you pronounced it. I'd seen it only like written about in design blogs, and I think I said Hige or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that like coziness fires light mm -hmm. red and green and after you've like been out wrapping. all day and you're cold yes. and you come like in crisp. it's the thing that's right. what i think of and 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 little pieces of chocolate that do not accurately mark the days because i am eating <laughs> that advent chocolate when when the spirit moves me and i can okay, look at so that yeah <laughs> this is a good segue because i don't know about advent chocolate so tell me wait what, what? the what I have celebrated it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not dumb, but I, uh, <laughs> some people might not have celebrated it and we want them to know too. Okay. Well, I'll give you the like church nerd version, but then there's Good. sort of, you know, cultural advent, which I think is mostly about 
uh, an advent calendar that comes with chocolate. And it always starts on December 1st, which is inaccurate because that's not necessarily when advent starts. <laughs> Therein lies the church nerd part. <laughs> right. Which is that advent liturgically is the four Sundays before Christmas. So it moves around a little bit um, because it depends on what day of the week Christmas is and, you know, all of that. But the four Sundays before Christmas are considered the season of Advent. It's the beginning of the church's calendar year. So New Year's Day in the church is like roughly Thanksgiving Day weekend. And then it's four Sundays that are preparation. Um, we turn them into preparation for Christmas, but it really is about preparation for the second coming of Jesus. Like how do we recognize mm. Jesus showing up now? So, I mean, Advent is really yeah. supposed to be not about counting down to Christmas and it's really not about the past. It really is about the future. But I would say culturally Advent is about opening a little box on a cardboard, you know, a little a door in a cardboard box and it contains like a piece of candy or chocolate or sometimes a Lego figurine, which is um, my family's personal first choice of Advent calendar. Yeah. Um, this year we're going straight for the really high quality chocolate because I feel like that's what this particular year requires but um, okay so yeah. go go a little bit more into the church thing what do you mean by you know let's let's do the church nerd what is advent according to the church and what do you mean by it's looking for the to the future well nobody I, I did a little kind of reminding myself research here but nobody quite as often is true nobody quite knows like who started advent when did it start exactly it's very hard to tell but Somewhere in the fourth or fifth century, fifth century probably, we get these um, writings that tell us that Advent is a thing happening, a season. Um, Advent comes from a, it's a Latin word, I believe, and it, it refers to coming, like something's coming. So it's a season about anticipation. We, along with, at our congregation at Holy Spirit Lutheran, along with lots of other mainline Protestant and Catholic congregations, we follow this this cycle of readings, you know, this, I think we've talked about this before, this three-year cycle of readings, and they have certain mm -hmm. patterns in them. And so Advent has a pattern in it. And it always starts with the first Sunday of Advent is always um, some sort of reading about the end of the world, because who doesn't want to kick off their year that way? Yeah, um, And then, yeah, right? No. And then there's a couple Sundays where we read about John the Baptist. And then there is a Sunday where we read generally Mary, something about Mary, maybe the Magnificat or something. But most of Advent really isn't about like Christmas. Mm -hmm. It's about preparing to see Christ, preparing to see Jesus, but not like celebrating something that happened 2000 years baby. ago. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, Jesus coming back. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so the baby shows us like, well, what kind of God are we looking for? Well, we're looking for a God who shows up as a vulnerable baby among a, a fairly poor, powerless family. And you know, has into a situation of like instant political turmoil, who becomes a refugee as a young kid. Like this is the kind of God we're looking for, but we're not trying to go backward to Bethlehem, to the mm. manger. We're mm. trying to go forward. Mm -hmm. um, and there's all kinds of other churchy traditions around Advent, like an Advent wreath. Um, you might light candles one per Sunday. So by the time you get to four Sundays, you're lighting four candles. And uh, traditions around reading, you might reading, you know, devotional readings and that kind of stuff. Those are all, a lot of those are cultural too. But what's the candle um, thing? What are we doing there? Just marking the time, marking the yeah, Sundays. Yeah, yeah. And each Sunday has like, someone says a little bit of a focus. Um, uh, the 
there's different types of Advent candle traditions, but um, it used to be that, for example, the third Sunday of Advent was a focus on joy. And so like years ago, Advent candles had, uh, or Advent wreaths had three purple candles, a pink candle, and then a white one in the middle for Christmas. And so the purple candles were for uh, most of the Sundays, but the pink one was for that third Sunday because it was like joy. And I loved that it. it was pink, oh. which I guess, I don't know. It was just a little different. I always different. thought it was like for Mary because it was pink and I thought it right. was for the mom or something. Nope. But that's no. a good guess though. So like people, <laughs> people who may not know, the Advent candles are these special candles that you buy and we used to buy them in a pack. They were Advent candles specifically. And we had three purples and a pink. I don't, we didn't have the white one. I don't know why. But you would light the purple, purple, pink, then purple to mark the four Sundays before Christmas yeah. Day, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And the idea of it, what I love about Advent wreaths is um, you you light that first candle and then you light that as the first candle every week. So by the time you get four weeks down, your your first candle is like a stub. <laughs> yeah, it's a nubbin. Right? Yeah, you're like, yeah. Eek. Yeah, you're, teeny tiny, you're like, is this going to light all my greenery on fire? It's distinctly possible. <laughs> Depending right? on how so long you're... I'm a little nervous. That's right. Yeah, the... But what I love is that, like, sense of the movement of time and how, like, the visual about waiting, you know, and how what yeah. it is to wait. It gets, it kind of, it gets longer. You get nervous about, like, oh, how long have we been waiting? Um, mm-hmm. So I, that's one thing I always enjoy. Now, in, in many churches, including ours, we've shifted, um, to, this is really digging deep in, into the church nerdery. Um, we've shifted <laughs> to blue candles um, to because purple is more of the color for Lent. Purple has this like repentance kind of uh, flavor to it. Hmm. And blue is now the Advent color and it's really about anticipation. And I always think of the blue of Advent as like you go outside and it's you can see the first stars of night, but not it's not all the way dark blue. It's Twilight. that kind of like, yeah, that beautiful, you know, when it's not cloudy. Um, mm-hmm. kind of, kind of, or even, I don't know. I'm, I'm yeah. just going to go old school. I still think it should be purple, but it, well, but purple, <laughs> purple reminds me, you know, it's very Royal, a Royal color, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. but you know, the church I, is the way it does. I love that dark blue. And I feel like I used this as an illustration last week or something. We were talking about the season of Advent, how, uh, everything you do kind of revolves around Christmas and Advent. It seems to spill over any, everything. And I was talking about our old printer, which was a Rico brand printer. We called him Rico Suave. Mm-hmm. And we were printing in November all our Advent things. So we had bulletins and posters and postcards and everything was blue. It did not matter what we were doing. It was a whole bunch of blue. And for three weeks after Christmas, after we we were finished, every piece of paper you fed through our printer had little stripes of blue on it because uh-huh. we had printed with so much blue. blue. It was just like huh. Advent had seeped into everything. And you would print out <laughs> your like spreadsheets with financial documents. And it was just like, don't forget it's Advent. It's <laughs> very, very meta- <laughs> metaphysical of you. It just seeped into the whole world. I was like, Rico Suave knows you can't go anywhere without Christmas music playing and a countdown. And have you gotten your presents yet? And how many stocking stuffers? And Well, I think that that talks about, so you've got Christmas. Advent seems, I think that it's, in my mind, there's like this dichotomy in a very funny way. Advent was always associated with church. So I could be like, okay, that's the religious part of this whole thing. And then you have like everything else, you know, 
all the stuff from the commercial to whatever. And when I did a little research online, I found that a lot of conversation around Christmas is like, well, it, it isn't even a Christian thing, you know, it's all pagan. You're just stole it from the pagans and on and on and on from Saturnalia to, you know, Christmas trees, Yule logs, the whole nine that it isn't Christian at all. So what's your take on that, Pastor Katie? Well, I don't, I mean, there's definite truth to that, um, that, you know, Christians were looking for a way to celebrate the birth of Jesus. There's really no way to know from what the Bible tells us. It's not like it says, and then on this day, Jesus was born. Like it doesn't really, it's hard to tell. Some people will say, oh, well, if the, you know, shepherds were out watching their flocks, it probably wasn't winter. Or I mean, we don't really know. Mm -hmm. So um, Christians were looking for a, a way to celebrate this on a recurring day, you know, and for a variety of reasons, some of which are probably really, you know, lovely and meaningful. And some of which are probably just let's shut those pagans up for a while. I mean, you know, it's, it's messy. Mm-hmm. Humans are messy. We borrow each other's festivals. We reinterpret each other's traditions. We steal each other. We culturally appropriate all over the place, especially mm-hmm. those of us in the Western world. And, you know, the way we celebrate Christmas is largely dictated by the Western church. Um, yeah, there's definitely ways in which the dates of Christmas and a lot of the traditions of it don't necessarily have have to be associated with the Bible. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I think many cultures, for good reason, where it's dark in the winter, mm-hmm. have traditions of some kind of, let's get more light into this thing. Well, Festival. winter solstice is a big one, and that's yeah. celebrated around here a lot. And a lot of people are like, well, you're just right. celebrating the solstice because it's the dawning of the new light and, and so on. And I'm like, okay, I'll wrap that yeah. in too. Yeah. You know, when I was traveling in Guatemala, the Catholic Church, um, on the, the steps of the churches there, there's a lot of people burning, a lot of burning and incense burning. And a lot of, you go inside and there's temples that have been set up and people set offerings there and all kinds of things and a lot of burned offerings and that all comes back from the Mayans and when you read about it they're basically like well they weren't going to give that up so the Catholic Church was like well we're not going to force them to give that up we'll just incorporate it in and then they'll be Catholic Mm -hmm. they'll be Catholic and they can do that too you know (laughs) so that's fine yeah and people's religious traditions reflect their culture too all over Mm -hmm. the place totally Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, even in, in the book of Acts, um, there's a line where Paul's talking, he's in Athens and he says, he looks around and he notices all those religious statues and he says, you know, Athenians, I see that you're very religious in every way. And let me like also tell you about Jesus, who is connected to some of the things that you don't even know. I mean, so again, this whole idea of like, let me see what you have in your culture and I'll show you how I think it's connected to a tradition that I have. That's not new. And I don't find that to be like a threatening thing. Like Christian, like it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything unless you invented it from scratch. Um, but I do think it would be wise for Christians to acknowledge that we don't have to own (laughs) everything and to then try to look at what does, what does an actual Christian celebration of Advent and Christmas look like? Because Christmas doesn't have to belong to Christianity. There's plenty of cultural ways to celebrate Christmas, and that's totally fine. But are those necessarily the same thing? 
um, kind of the mm-hmm. rampant materialism and consumerism around Christmas in this country, at least that's what I'm the most familiar with. Mm-hmm. I find that pretty hard to reconcile with Jesus. <laughs> um, and it's not that's to what say most that people see is, too. Yeah. I don't think it's all bad to want to bring gifts to people and stuff, but mm-hmm. you know, there are times when I think we can also say, Hey, is this really what we as people of faith should be focusing on? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I do tend to agree with you that I love the idea that, um, multiple cultures can have their big celebrations around the same time of year. The fact that we're, we, it's all tied to the solstice means that there's a lot of exciting things happening for a lot of different people all over around the same calendar time, which I think is really beautiful. I kind of super dig that. Um, but I will say the question I get asked the most about Christmas and Christianity is about the virgin birth. Oh my God. Yes. That's probably the thing I get the most. So, so what do you, what do you guys say about virgin birth, Pastor Katie? What, what people who don't, yeah, it's a, it's a big one. We have a whole episode on this, by the way, but it bears repeating because it is something that not only is it, you know, oh, it's all pagan and it's this and that, but now you have these, this whole fantasy thing, you know, around virgin birth and, the the veneration of that 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 it was mother mary and unspoiled and untouched you know that that kind of thing that that smacks kind of icky to me to be quite honest mm-hmm. it feels oppressive as a woman yeah i know we did talk about this i, I remember and it would be good to to go back and listen to it um but i think part of it is and there's some inter- there's some translation difficulties here um because the word that gets translated as virgin in um, it comes from it comes from a prophecy in Isaiah about a young woman who will bear a child, and it isn't virgin as in someone who hasn't had sex. It's a young woman, um, and so we we take you know we take that word and when we interpret when we translate it a certain way, and I think I've said before here that every tra- you know everything we read as an English Bible is a translation, and every translation is an act of interpretation. I mean, the choices that you're making as a translator are really important. Um, And if that word doesn't really mean virgin, it means young woman, then the point isn't to believe like, Ooh, how did that happen? You know, but to see how God is choosing this relatively unimportant, ordinary, quite young um, woman to bear this child of God into the world. And it isn't because she's unsullied and, you know, and isn't all dirty from having had sex. Um, but Mm -hmm. because she is not, we're talking about, you know, the idea is to have God very present in flesh and blood in the world. God doesn't choose like a princess or a queen or somebody in power, but the very, very opposite. I, I think that's, for me, that's really what, um, what Mary is about. And and that doesn't just come from that word. But then when you read the song in Luke, the gospel of Luke that Mary sings, which we often call the Magnificat, everything she sings about is about a God who comes to flip everything upside down, um, mm. who fills the hungry with good things and sends the rich away empty and topples the tyrants off their thrones. And, and so right from the beginning, you have this God who shows up in 
unexpected places and, um, and, and is going to flip our notions of power and privilege on their heads. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think that there's a lot of good stories around Christmas. I mean, not only there's the Christmas story, right. But, um, the manger and Jesus being born in a lowly position, but then you've got like a Christmas carol, all that 18th century, you know, classic Christmassy, um, or maybe it's 19th century, a classic Christmassy kind of thing around Bob Cratchit. But the idea of the, uh, of man being man being, you know, the word man and woman, but being the best, just being at your best and the bonhomme and the good cheer and the things that you're supposed to really highlight and celebrate, you know, the day after Thanksgiving, <laughs> you know, and of course this should happen all year round, but there's just this real emphasis on creating that space for people that I think is one of the better parts of the season. And you call it a season for the reason, <laughs> right? It's, <laughs> It's the ability to maybe talk, well, talk at a distance now, but talk to people, you know, you run into people, you, you're out and about generally, it's just a weird year to talk about this, but you still have that feeling of togetherness and you're, the culture itself is sort of celebrating together. And that was another thing I read online where people were like, well, I was, I'm Jewish my whole life, but I played the Santa or, you know, they're from totally different religions, non-religious, uh, spiritual, not religious, what have you. But they still they still kind of do the Christmas thing, whatever that thing is for them. And I would really, I have been actually in countries where Christmas is not a thing, in Malaysia during Christmas time. And you have to go to like the Irish bar where the expats are to, you know, find a Christmas tree. And it's weird because you're used to celebrating sort of this cultural tradition that's all over the place all at once with people. And there's just something to that. I think just like standing in a stadium with 60,000 people, if whether you're at a concert or whether you're at a football game or whatever, there's just an energy that comes with that. And there's a togetherness that you don't really experience in in other times. I love that the cheerfulness and the positivity. And I think it, it's needed this year. You see it in people putting up their decorations early. Um, but I also think there's a bit of, of forced jovial, a, a bit of forced <laughs> excitement and positivity and love. And this year more than others, but I think every year, this season can be a rough time for people people who are disconnected from family or maybe never had family to begin with or um, have had loved ones pass away or don't have money or resources to make the holiday the way they think it needs to be or the way that people around them want it to be. I, I think it can be a really hard time for people. And I feel like it's this big dichotomy between like the high highs and the low lows, the kids who <laughs> cannot wait, they can barely sleep. They're so excited. And it's Christmas lists and excitement and the people who dread it and just want this season to go away. Yeah, it is. So that's one of the things I really appreciate about the season of Advent is that, and I get, again, I mean, it's a, Christian season, but mm -hmm. I appreciate the way it takes 
me apart from some of those um, heavy expectations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the holly yeah. jollies. Um, you know, the, the economic pressures people mm-hmm. feel, the emotional pressure people feel, um, the sort of, you know, I need it to look like it, like it belongs on Instagram and Martha Stewart would eat with me kind of pressure. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, some of that stuff, it's even hard to identify within yourself. And Advent talks a a lot about, you know, what is it like to journey through the darkness? What is it like to wait for something that you can't quite see yet? Um, Mm -hmm. Who is it? And what is it that we're waiting for? And what is waiting actually look like? Is it just like sitting around (laughs) passively waiting? You know, is there action? Is there something we can be doing um, to participate in what God's doing in this world while we're waiting for Jesus in some way? And particularly, I think the themes of light and darkness, which are really pervasive in Advent, are very powerful um, for me. And I think they I think they are in a lot of ways, because that movement between, you know, the the beauty of light and the beauty of the darkness and the heart, the heart that light shows you some things you might not want to see. Um, and darkness can be a, a really safe and nurturing place. Um, we often think about mm-hmm. darkness as a bad thing, but you know, mm-hmm. I, I love the way those themes work together in Advent and kind of pull me apart. Give me a little space to step aside from some of the, the Christmas stuff that just feels too much. Um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm unhealthy yeah it goes back to that conversation we had about the blue and the twilight and the the idea of thin spaces I always felt like at twilight it's like a little thin space almost like if you reach out you could touch the other side or a fairy world or there's magic in the air at these times and it's just a feeling that I have that I love I'm also of the fact that I love the dark I mean if I were to have to choose to live during the day or at night, I would probably live at night. (laughs) There's just something very quiet about it. And the psychic energy is lower. The candlelight and being able to escape into spaces, which again, we're missing this year, you know, being able to go into a church space or, or a space that's quiet and candlelit and contemplative and to move into that space. And so, you know, try to make that in your own home which can be super challenging depending on your situation that dark and quiet and contemplative space takes me more into the spiritual spiritual realm of christmas as opposed to when yeah you're out and walking about and you're holly jolly and have a cup of good cheer which is not so bad either there's just times when the expectations we put on ourselves about christmas really might not actually be about anything mm. fundamental to the Christian celebration. Like there's just stuff we can let yes. go of, I think. Yeah. A couple of years ago, my family changed our Christmas tradition and um, we decided not to exchange gifts anymore. And we would do one white elephant gift exchange and you'd bring any sort of silly gift. You could bring little stocking stuffers. We put stockings up and you'd get a few little knickknacks, but mostly it's the the white elephant. And I know for me, I look all year to find what item I'm going to find. And when I see something, I'm like, oh, that's what I'm going to bring to Christmas this year. 
and we make a game out of it and you laugh and you still have something to unwrap or maybe multiple somethings depending on how the game goes. But the stress level is so much lower and it's all about laughing and togetherness. And there's something about stripping away a tradition that that can make the the holiday feel so much better because Newer. it is mm-hmm. there's a lot of expectations. Yeah, I still want things. <laughs> <laughs> well, Let's you haven't heard you haven't heard what I'm the bringing to White Elephant. <laughs> Last year, I gave away a cat scratcher that was shaped like a turntable, so it looked like your cat was mixing records. You I know, do these like are that the one. <laughs> Danielle like that is one. a really good uh, weird gift giver. I've received several strange gifts, um, including my favorite, which is a coffee mug of the turkey that Monica wears on her head in that episode of Friends. Um, huh. It's it's the actual best. Yeah, I I find I can find some strange gifts on the internet. If you Pretty need good. to know where to go. <laughs> To make a car air freshener in the face, in with your face printed on it, I can let you know because oh, I've man. purchased several of those. You've got time. You've got a lot of time. Like time. I'm a white elephant hero. Oh, yeah. almost as strange as bringing a baby gold and frankincense and myrrh. See how I brought it back it, around that, I, every good time. Job, PK, bringing it I back. Just, can I just ask what is? So I know what gold is. I'm not a complete philistine. <laughs> but frankincense and myrrh, these are like oils? Yeah, yeah, myrrh in particular. Frankincense is a, a an in, an incense. It's very pungent if you've never smelled it. Um I took a big whiff of it one time by accident and it whew, It mm. smells strong. And then myrrh was um used for anointing um bodies at their burial. So the sort of strange hint in that story in the gospel of Matthew from the, the wise men slash astrologer scientists, um, is that they are, they are anointing this baby <laughs> for burial, which is, I mean, that is weird, right? Like mm. that's not something you bring a baby. Well, so Herod was going to kill him, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, seriously, that story goes off the rails fast. Um, right. so, and again, like that's not, like the first story that we read after um, in, in the Christmas season really is this this determination of Herod to kill all the baby boys because he's so terrified that um, that somebody's going to try to replace him as king. Um, okay, wait, let's back up. So we didn't even talk about the Christmas story. We had this giant assumption that everybody knows what that is. But yeah. it isn't really, I mean, Christmas isn't really that gigantic of a thing in our in the calendar year, is it? And where does it come in the Bible and what is it exactly like really basics? Like what are the basic characters and what happens? Well, each of the four gospels starts in a different way. The one Mark just starts off with Jesus as a grown up, doesn't even care about his babyhood. <laughs> Mark likes to get right to the point. Matthew, Matthew really focuses more on the story of Joseph and what was it like for Joseph to be engaged to this woman who shows up one day and goes, Hey, I'm having a baby. Um, mm. And how does he handle that? John's gospel is always very poetic. And so there's no real birth story, but it's the one that says, you know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And it's always, it's kind of very swirly and, and Mm. beautiful, but there's no like, and this is how the kid was born. So it's Luke's gospel that tells us the Christmas story that I always think of is the one that when in the Peanuts Christmas special, Mm -hmm. they're all dancing around Mm -hmm. the stage and then it stops and then Mm -hmm. Linus gets the spotlight. 
that's Luke chapter two. And that's what most people think of in the Christ, as the Christmas story. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And so that Mary and Joseph have to go back to Joseph's hometown for this census because the emperor wants to know how much taxes he can charge people. And um, on their way, they realize that this baby is shown up and they get to Bethlehem and they're looking for a place to stay and they can't find it. And they end up in this, what we think of as a barn, but was probably not exactly a barn, but anyway, a stable with the animals. A shed of some sort. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the angels show up and tell the shepherds all about it. And the shepherds go and discover, Oh yeah, there's a, there's a baby in that there major. Um, Mm. So that's Luke chapter two. Um, The wise men. Yeah. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The wise men, you have to go back to Matthew. They're in a different gospel. And, um, and they're really kind of astrologers who are reading the signs in the sky and trying to figure out what they were looking at. And, um, they probably don't show up to find Jesus until he's older, like around two, maybe. Um, but they, they're looking for a King. And so, you know, if you're looking for a King, where should you go? You go to the palace. So they go to the palace and they ask Herod, Hey, we hear there's a new King, which is not the thing you should ask the current King. The current king does not like to hear, hey, where's the new king? Um, so Herod like is very smarmy and he tells them, yeah, why don't you go find this king and then be sure to tell me where you find him so that I can pay him homage, if you know what I mean, right? Like kill him. And um, so that comes from Matthew's gospel. And that's the one where Jesus Joseph has a dream and they have to flee to Egypt um, to, to escape this awful decree from Herod that he's going to kill all the boys under age two in Bethlehem to try to get rid of the king. Didn't the, didn't the wise men have a dream and they didn't go back and tell Herod? That's right. That's right. So they don't go back. They go home by a different road. It says. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, again, like we have these sort of romanticized versions of the Christmas story. Um, A lot of them are shaped by our, our, cultural stuff or particularly Western cultural stuff. Pop culture. But when really. you, yeah. But when mm-hmm. you read the story story, um, there's just so much kind of, boy, that almost went wrong <laughs> kind of things. And then there's <laughs> this awful consequences. I mean, um, there's just this terrible purge of by Herod to desperately try to save himself. There's mm-hmm. just nothing more dangerous than a tyrant with poor self-esteem. Um, and, Mm. and yeah. Um, and so it, the story immediately plunges you into the political implications of what's happening. And I, I think, I mean, after this, what does Herod do? So Herod decrees and has killed all the boys who are two and under in Bethlehem. Um, eventually Herod dies and, Joseph has another dream that says, okay, it's safe to go back. And so they do. You know, often I think we think of Christmas as like, it's kind of a time to escape from all the realities of the world. <laughs> you know, like, oh, let's mm-hmm. just like sing. And believe me, I'm, sing- time. Mm-hmm. I'm singing all the Christmas songs right now too. So there's, there's nothing wrong with finding some space for rest and joy and happiness. But in the end of the story here, like Jesus is plunged right into the mess of the world immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what God chooses to be in this baby. I don't want to knock our, our joyful traditions around Christmas, but I think mm-hmm. 
when we do try to use it too much for escape, we're, we are missing the really radical heart of the, of the story. Hmm. The radical heart of Christmas. That's going to be the title, Danielle. Write it down. Thanks for listening, everybody. This was really, really fun. And um, I'd like to hear what your traditions are, if you agree with us, or if you were uh, non non-spiritual or spiritual non-religious or whatever you are if you what you think about these christmas traditions in this time in advent um challenging christianity podcast at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you thanks for merry joining christmas. us pastor katie merry christmas and everybody merry christmas we'll merry talk christmas. to you next time <laughs>